The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendorf for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Banning Liebscher. Banning is the founder and co-director of Jesus Culture, a ministry dedicated to mobilizing, equipping, advocating and sending out a new breed of revivalists worldwide. He's also the lead pastor of Jesus Culture Sacramento, as well as the author of several books, including Rooted, Spiritual Java, and the recently released The Three Mile Walk. Banning, thank you for joining the conversation. Well, it is so good to be here. Seriously, an honor to uh, be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get to your work and the new book, uh, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, uh, we obviously in, in pre-roll kind of were talking about the, the pain of, of Zoom, but, you know, outside of the crisis we're currently facing, who, <laughs> who, who is banning? Well, first and foremost, I am a, a husband and a father. I've been married uh, for 22 years. I have three kids. I have a 21-year-old daughter, a 17-year-old daughter, and a 14-year-old son. So I am right in the middle of kind of teenage world in that kind of stage of life. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's who I am. I, I pastor a church, like you mentioned. Um, I, I grew up in a town in Northern California called Redding, and then we moved to Sacramento area 
the capital of California about, uh, gosh, now six and a half years ago and uh, planted a church about five and a half years ago here. So, uh, you know, we started out years ago as kind of a youth movement, doing conferences and equipping and things, and now it's kind of morphed into we're a church. So, uh, you know, husband, father, and ultimately uh, just pastor, you know, love our community and church and all that's going on there. And uh, yeah, outside of that, I'm, uh, that, that, yeah, that's about it. I, I, I play some basketball every once in a while as the old guy. Nice. Nice. Not the old guy that gets hurt in the church league, right? Well, that's, that's very quickly. That's very quickly becoming me, but not, not quite yet. No, (laughs) but church league, listen, anybody who goes to church knows this church leagues are the most intense, man. I think I've seen more fights. I think I've seen more fights break out at church leagues than anywhere else. Yeah. The, the, the church softball league, uh, in the town I grew up in was was (laughs) quite dirty. You know, who would have thought there's a dirty way to throw a (laughs) softball pitch, you know, an adult, you know, Uh, Christian league. Man, I mean, that, yes. you know, being in people, you know, all sorts of stuff. Yes, <laughs> we totally, we, we belong to, we be, I played in a church league for years. It, it was slow pitch softball church league. And it was all these churches that came together to play. <laughs> and it was just this, it was this beautiful picture of the body of Christ and what it looked like when they... <laughs> that's one way to put it you know maybe maybe the church of the church of corinthians you know you see why paul is writing to yes. so many there's <laughs> so many paul, memories flooding paul back here <laughs> yeah paul would have written paul would have written some letters to our churches that's yeah. for sure well i always love the fact that you know churches quote use this as an outreach you know so while tenured members of the church are arguing with umpires <laughs> the people that didn't go to their church yes. are wondering well, why would i go to your church in the first place <laughs> well mo- so moving true. on so uh so you know awesome. we, we know uh you know probably people have heard of yeah, Jesus culture when it comes to conferences, uh, probably have an album or two of, of worship music. And of course, uh, you know, we think now the church. So for those that aren't familiar, you know, what is Jesus culture? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus culture, originally when I was youth pastoring, uh, I, um, we just had a real heart to kind of see our city impacted and see other youth groups that were being equipped uh, to kind of reach their city and reach their campuses. So Man, we started a um, we started a youth conference in 1999. Ended up calling it Jesus Culture, and from that time, we just started putting on youth conferences, and then kind of started doing some campus ministry, just putting out resources for for youth groups to reach their campus. And then during that time, um, we worship really was kind of a main part of the, these conferences. If you know our world at all, Jesus culture, which would be most known for its worship, there's been kind of two main worship leaders at the forefront, Kim Walker-Smith and somebody named Chris Kilala. Well, Chris Kilala, who's 36, is is with us at our church now. He's 36. He was 12. When I first started youth ministry, he was a middle school kid. He was in my wedding when he was 14. And then Kim... Uh, Kim had moved and was just part of our youth group. So, so it was kind of me with some of these youth leaders and some of these students and, and worship started taking off. And so we just decided to record an album at the conference. We just wanted to capture the conference and then YouTube kind of came onto the scene and, and that started growing. So from there, we started doing conferences all over the world, all over America, all over the world. We started holding these conferences just with a heart to see young people 
youth and young adults. It morphed into young adults, but youth and young adults. Just with a, uh, we just had a real, a real desire to see young people grow in their love for Jesus. So in their in their commitment and love for Jesus, that they would grow in their passion, and then ultimately His cause in the earth. Uh, just seeing the harvest and seeing people reached and and seeing uh, uh, cities impacted. So that's kind of what it was for years. <laughs> and then uh, about six, like we said, about six years ago, that kind of crew, and we were always part of a local church. So always, I'm a, I'm a diehard local church guy. I'm like, I am a local church guy. I believe deeply in the local church, the role of the local church, believers plugged into the local church. So, so from that time, we got sent from our church uh, to plant a church here in the Sacramento area. And a, and a whole bunch of the people that were with us in kind of those youth and young adult Jesus culture days just moved. And uh, we planted a Jesus culture church. What inspire you to, to start a church? You know, you think about if you're part of a, a movement, if you're certainly part of the church you were part of, it was really successful. You know, uh, what inspired yeah. you? What, what sense of calling did you have to go and start this, this new church? Yeah, you know what's interesting is it's a great question because I never really it, and this is not uh, it's not exaggeration. It was not on my radar to be a senior pastor, but but I'm very committed to the local church. So even I was youth pastoring. I I, I was on staff at a church called Bethel in Reading for 18 years. So so um, randomly I got a phone call uh, in 2012. I got a phone call from a pastor, a really a really successful, significant church that I preach at every year, um, they called me and said, would you be interested? And I would have been 36, I guess. They said, would you be interested in uh, coming and taking our church? And uh, I said, nah, nah, I'm good. Like, we're good. But but I couldn't shake it. I just could not shake it. And so I went to my leadership and said, hey, I can't shake this. Is this something I'm supposed to pray about? And uh, the leadership just kind of said, man, let's pray into it. So that started, I ended up, it, that wasn't, I, it, that church was not where I was supposed to go, but it started something in my heart where I just began to pray into, are we supposed to go plant a church? And, um, and, and, and I really believe, like we use the word revival, revival is used so differently in different circles. So that word means something for different people, but, but uh, like my heart is for revival. I want to see God move and I want to see the harvest come in and I want to see cities transformed. And, uh, but, but I, I really believe that the local church is the vehicle for which God pours out revival. And so I think for us, it was a natural flow when we really sat down and began to think about it for me, um, just saying, I, I really believe that we're supposed to go and, and just build community in the city and equip people and reach people. So it was kind of a phone call that came out of nowhere that ended up taking us down a road of, I think it's time. And I think the season is God's calling us to go plant a church. And it was a pretty easy jump just because I believe so deeply in the, in the local church that we just decided to go for it. Well, every church, uh, you know, certainly our, our purpose and trajectory is is to lead people to Christ and to nurture uh, people in spiritual formation. Um, you know, but then, uh, you know, kind of how that comes into fruition can be defined in all different sorts of ways when it comes to success. So, so for Jesus culture, you know, the church, how do y'all define success? What, how do you measure that? Yeah, man, great question. I, I have, a, I'm, I love talking about this stuff. 
we have a real value for the presence of God. So um, we would talk a lot about maturity. So Ephesians 4, which is kind of talking that fivefold, um, it's kind of that, that church government passage where Paul's talking about these gifts that have been given to us. But, but when it's talking about leadership, that our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to edify, encourage, but it talks about that, that maturity, that we're to help people become mature, and that, that they would come to a mature man, and then it describes immaturity as ch- no, like so that you would no longer be children. So it's this passage where it's saying, listen, the, 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 the structure of the church, the governmental structure, the leaders, their job is to help you mature and grow. And ultimately, we know this, that maturity and growth looks like looking like Jesus the fullness and the stature of Christ. And so ultimately, this is what sanctification is. You know, we all know this, but justification, that legal act, that one-time legal act where you go from guilt to innocence. But but sanctification is the work in the Holy Spirit transforming our lives to look like Jesus. And And so I believe our role is to help people mature. I even believe that salvations are a result of people maturing in their life that they're maturing, that they're leading people to Jesus and discipling and, and, and taking care of the poor and all that type of stuff. So that's a long answer to say this. Success for us looks like, are people maturing? Like, like are they actually growing? And then how do we measure that? Much of that would be off the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, like if the Holy Spirit is sanctifying, is at work in our life, then the fruit of the Spirit should be manifesting. And, and, and I really believe that if we can see... Um, and I think my big concern, and listen, I hate broad strokes. I mean, I hate when people paint the church in broad strokes. The church is so large and it's so diverse that you can't just say one statement about the church in America or anywhere else. Having said that, I'm going to say a statement. But I think one of my concerns in the American church is, is that um, mature, like crowds have been our goal rather than maturity and so although we may be getting crowds, we're producing immature believers. And uh, so for us, I really believe that when I look at what God's called me to as a leader in the body of Christ, it's that I'm supposed to equip, edify, but I'm supposed to be a part of helping mature people. And that success looks like they look more like Jesus today than they did yesterday. That next year, that husband in his marriage looks more like Jesus this year than he did last year that 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 uh that woman at her workplace looks more like jesus this year than she did last year so for me it's measured by our people maturing i think you know certain churches have a a greater capacity to to connect with people whether they are you know people who are following christ or people who are um in in friendships and community with people who are Christ followers, you know, Jesus culture, um, you know, as a, I pay this as a compliment. Y'all have found a very effective way to connect with a great number of people. You know, what do you think it is about the way that you uh, go about the life and work of the church that, that draws people to you? That's a great question too. I'm going to get on your podcast more. Uh, <laughs> um, I, 
I, you know, it's hard to talk about yourself at some level, you know, um, especially when it's in a complimentary light. But I, I would hope one is, is, is that we're doing a good job presenting Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, I would hope that he's at the center of what we're doing, that he is the message, that this is what we're about. We're not trying to build a name for ourselves. We're not trying to whatever else. It's just we're trying to just introduce people to Jesus. Uh, and I'm talking Christians as well, you know, not not just for the first time, but again, in an intimate relationship. But I would say this. One of the things that we try to be very intentional with is just authenticity, just that we would be real, that we would be approachable, that we would be uh, that we'd be authentic. Hopefully for us, when you come into our environment, you're encountering people that actually care, are kind, are authentic and and just care and have a value for you um that that when you that if you encounter either on a sunday or 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 the people that call our church home if you encounter them anywhere that you would encounter somebody who is kind that you would encounter somebody who actually is genuine and authentic it doesn't have to have it all together isn't trying to put on some mask or show or somehow act like everything's perfect that we just are genuine, that we're authentic, that we're, that we're transparent in ways and, um, and that we don't have it all together, but we're all trying to go after Jesus and grow and get better and that we care about people. I mean, it sounds so simple, but that we would care about people. And then we just really try to keep it real. Uh, we really try to just keep it real and genuine and that, 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 and, and I try to start with me, who, who I am on the stage is who I want to is who I am off the stage is who I want to be on the stage. If you run into me in the grocery store, or if you uh, run into me at my house with my kids or my family, or you come and visit me in my office, wherever you run into me, that you just like this is just who you are, and uh, hopefully that's how our church is as well. So I think some of the attract well, all of the attraction is Jesus. Um, but I think some of the attraction and how we present Jesus is just a, a deep, deep value for authenticity and relationships. And we just care about people. Um, and so I, I don't know if that answers your question. It is hard sometimes to define what you're doing and talking about that, but maybe that would be it. And and we have a deep love for the presence of God. So like when we gather together, we want to encounter his presence together. We have a deep passion for the word of God, and we have a deep passion for the presence of God. Those two things are what transforms people's lives. And I think we know that. I don't think it's a program that I build. I don't think my I don't think how snazzy my sermon is changes lives. I think it's the word of God and the presence of God and ultimately the community of God that changes lives. So I want you to encounter those things. I want you to encounter his presence. I want you to encounter his word. And I want you to encounter his family. Those are the soils that you that, that if you'll encounter those in a real way, they'll change your life. I, I would pay good money to see you preach a quote snazzy sermon. I, I feel like, like <laughs> I feel like jazz hands would, would be a part of a snazzy sermon. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny story. This would be a good thing. So, um, I, I don't, we had been a year, year and a half in, and listen, we have a name. We've got famous worship leaders with us. We come from a big church. So we had a lot of momentum when we started. So people are coming. And so the, the big newspaper in town, the Sacramento Bee, they came unannounced one Sunday to do an article on us. 
And uh, so they wrote an article and it was really, it was a really kind article. It was favorable. Uh, they were really, I was a really encouraging article, but the, the writer comes to the, the, the reporter comes to the part where he's going to talk about me and the sermon. And he says, so I'm reading this on like Tuesday at our staff meeting, we get the paper and we're reading it to our paper, to the, to the staff. And I get to the part where it says, and the preacher got up and he spoke a homespun sermon. And I was like, what's homespun? <laughs> I didn't even like, is that good? So I look it up. So we go like, you know, you're like, Siri, you know, Siri, what is the definition of homespun? And homespun is simple and unsophisticated. Oh gosh. <laughs> like, like, and it was, and it was really, it was actually kind of this moment where I'm like, what? wait, should I be a fit? Like, and he didn't mean it in negative light. He was just like, it was a simple and unsophisticated method. But I was actually something that was, I'm like, you know what? That's what I like. I think Jesus, I think we love to complicate things and we love when things are all this, but I think Jesus was simple and unsophisticated in ways. And, and so, but yes, I, you're probably not going to get a snazzy message from me. You're probably <laughs> going to get more of a, a, a homespun message. <laughs> Let's talk about a new book, um, The Three Mile Walk, The Courage You Need to Live the Life God Wants for You. This book is an invitation to see our role in changing the world. You wrote, my heart burns with passion to see a generation fully engaged in their call, not just because it's what we're supposed to be doing, but because that's where we thrive. What was the impetus for this book? Yeah, well, one of anything I want to do as uh, a pastor is I want to challenge people, I want to inspire them, but I want to encourage them. I, I just want to come alongside them, speak life to them, encourage them, and and now in my twenty five years of being in full time pastoral ministry, um, one of the things I've realized, and and obviously looking at scripture and just walking with people, it's that people are most alive, they're most fulfilled, they're most thriving when they're engaged in the call of God on their life, when, when they're not sitting passively on the sideline, but they're actually actively engaged in what God's called them to do. And I'd say there's two calls that all of us have. We all have this, like pastors aren't called over somebody else. Like, like we all have a call on our life and we're called to both be someone and we're called to do something. Like God is trying to shape and form you uh, he, there's a call to be someone that he's called you to. And then there's a call to do something. There's a call to partner with God, to see his plans and purposes established and fulfilled in the earth. So my heart was really just to come alongside believers and encourage them to say, listen, get up and engage the call of God in your life. Be who God's called you to be and do what God's called you to do. And um, and so really this book and and even the story we could talk about if you want, but the, the, the story of Jonathan as armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14, which is what this book is based off of, is really about that. My prayer for believers to be awakened in their heart to the call of God on their life, but not just to be awakened, but just to get up and engage it. And, and I just find in my own life and in history and the Bible, walking with people, that those that are engaged in what God has called them to do and engaged in who God's called them to be, are the most that they're the ones that are thriving the most are the most alive that they're, they're experiencing the fullness of God in a way that others aren't so that's really kind of why uh, I, I wanted to write the book 
This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experience in highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. Let's go back to that quote I read a few minutes ago. Uh, what do you mean when you say a generation fully engaged in, in their call? Yeah, well, uh, this book's, um, th- it, I'm talking about 1 Samuel 14 throughout the book, which is the story of Jonathan as armor bearer. And this is one of those stories that I've just, you know, you know, there's certain stories you just resonate with you early on that are with you the rest of your life, kind of. This passage in scripture is one of those for me. And it's this incredible picture of the difference between Saul and Jonathan. You know, the Israelites are encamped on one hill against the Philistines, who God has called the Israelites to claim that land, to, to, to wipe out the enemies of God. And so the Israelites are encamped against the Philistines who are on another hill. And, and Saul is there with the army, but he's just sitting underneath a pomegranate tree, kind of looking from a distance, somehow content, somehow content to not, be, to not get up and go after the Philistines. And then there's Jonathan. Who, who something just stirs in the heart of Jonathan. He's awakened, and he just turns to his armor and says, you know, I'm not okay. I want to get up and engage. And so he starts, we call it the three-mile walk, because in between the two hills where the Israelites and the Philistines were was a three-mile valley. And so he just gets up and starts this three-mile walk to go engage what God has put on his heart. And so for me, there's a lot of believers that I, they, listen, they're saved. They they love Jesus. They're going to heaven, but they're sitting passively on the sideline of their destiny. They're sitting on the sideline of what God has called them to, and they're not fully engaged. And so that's what I'm talking about. Like I don't like Saul was somehow okay just sitting on the sideline, and Jonathan wasn't. And man, I want to come and just stir the hearts of people. I I, I want to see God put a a divine dissatisfaction inside of people that just say, I don't want to sit on the sideline of my life. I don't want to sit on the sideline of my destiny and what God has called me to. I want to get up and engage it. So that's kind of what I'm referring to in that phrase. Well, the same phrase is such a, a powerful quote, which is why I pulled it out. You know, you, you also talk about, um, you know, people thriving. So for you, what does it mean for people to thrive? Yeah, well, I think I think thriving starts obviously with just knowing God, and uh, and our lives being fully set apart for Him. Uh, we kind of break up the book into three miles, but the first one is holiness. And uh, I, you know, I really wanted to unpack holiness a little bit. We just spent it in two chapters. I don't take an entire book on it, but I think we are most alive and thriving when we know Him and when we're known by God. Uh, this is what what we who we were created to be. So so that kind of intimacy and and knowing God and that relationship with Him. I think the result of a relationship with God is you get up and move to what He's called you to do. But but real thriving is about is is about 
my relationship with God and, and just being in his presence and being with him and growing and walking with him daily. And, um, and so I, I, I think it's experiencing the fullness of God in relationship with him and, and that concept of holiness, which is a hundred percent set apart. Uh, you know, holiness is one of the things I tried to break down is holiness is for me, holiness growing up was really a list of do's and don'ts and more don'ts. But if you look at scripture, second Corinthians six, and then into chapter seven, it's a relationship. Holiness is 100% relational. It's, it's God saying, I want to be a father to you. And I want you to be sons and daughters because of that, uh, you know, perfecting uh, holiness. And it, it, it's this type of concept of being set apart. So I think thriving is when we are, when our lives are fully set apart to God and his purpose in relationship. In the book, you talk a, a good bit about uh, fear and the power of fear. You wrote, when we get to the root issues of the heart that are unhealthy, bitterness, offense, pride, anger, disappointment, unbelief, and insecurity, we find that they are all based on some sort of fear. Um, I wonder if you might talk about the fears you faced in your life and how you've been able to overcome them. Oh, man, are you kidding me for sure? I, You know, I, I think... Like we know this, um, fear is what separates us. Um, uh, fear is just how the enemy operates, and and he comes and he lies to us, and and we have fears. There are deep, you know, perfect love casts out fear. This is the whole thing. Like like when, when the love of God is what's to come and to deal with the fears, and we all have fears. We have fears of rejection. We have fears of, uh, you know, not being loved. Uh, we, we, have, we have fears of whatever it may be, fears of death, fears of so many things. For me, it would probably be fears of insignificance, fears of, of being rejected and not loved. You know, as a pastor, as a public figure, as somebody who is a driven individual and wants to accomplish great things for God, you know, there's a real, there's fears inside of me of uh, insignificance. I, I remember like just not being significant or um, and, and not being loved for what I do and um, and and having to for me working through those things, uh, so many leaders are driven by that too. Like when you really get with leaders and if you're a leader listening to this right now, so many leaders are driven by just a fear of not being accepted, uh, a fear of not being loved and um, and so for me, just really having to find my identity and my acceptance in Christ and Christ alone. I don't need something like, like when Paul writes about we're in Christ, like we are complete in Christ. My identity is found in him. His acceptance and love for me is enough. If, if nobody else loves me, if nobody else accepted me, his love for me, his acceptance for me is enough. And I think, you know, Jesus, one of the main revelations that Jesus brought was that we can relate to God as a father and that he wants to relate to us as a father. I mean, you know, the, the Israelites, they knew God, but they didn't know him as a father. Uh, um, they, you know, they knew him as creator. They knew him as judge. They knew him as all powerful, but, but they didn't know him. And Jesus showed up and it's like, hey, you can relate to him as a father. You can call him daddy. God. You know, you can call him Abba father. So for me, that just knowing God as a father, I have to continually go back to that place and make sure that I'm connecting with God as a father. And that as a father, 
he's pleased with me and he's proud of me and he loves me. And I've got to know what his word says about me. What does his word say about me? So I guess those, those would be fears that I would deal with. And then therefore kind of what I just have to continually come back to truth. You know, I have to come back to encountering his love for me and knowing truth. One of the powerful quotes, uh, that I found from the book was the most important thing we can do to keep the peace supplied in our lives is to stay aware of the presence of Jesus with us. We are never alone in this three mile walk. And the one who is with us is constantly available and inviting us to hand our burdens to him and receive his provisions and protection in return. You know, as we do this interview, we're in this COVID-19 crisis and, and this is a, a tremendous weight of isolation and depression and, and uncertainty. Uh, that that most certainly yeah. many have felt. So how might you guide people to discover the presence of Jesus in their lives today? You know, what does that look like practically? Yeah, I think it's just awareness. Um, you know, we just read the other day at our church about the, you know, the passage about be still and know that I am God. That passage of be still and know that I am God is connected to the Lord of hosts is with us. That revelation of Emmanuel, God with us, I think that, and here's what I, here's what I would say maybe, and this may be a little off course, but um, no, the, the lies that the enemy is trying to feed us are connected to either God is not with us or God does not care. It's those kind of lies. And so any place in my life where I'm worried, where I'm anxious, where I'm fearful, almost all of those are connected to a lie I'm believing that, that God is either not with me in this moment or he doesn't care. And so I think that we have to continually come back to the revelation that no, God is with me. He is with me. This is the whole point of the cross. This whole point of like God with us. and um, and we just have to continually remind ourselves of that. So even in this moment right now, it's not just isolation. It's the worry of finances. It's, it's, it's the unknown in front of us. It's the what's going to happen. And so I, I, I think that if we can just stay focused, here's what, here's what I would have. The, the Lord spoke to my heart recently, and, and I was worried about finances or something. I think I was stressed about finances. This is before even this whole thing. And, and, and God just spoke to my heart and said, Danny, don't ever approach finances as if I'm not with you. He said, don't ever approach situations as, a, as if I'm not with you. When I feel overwhelmed, when I feel alone, when I feel um, uh, worry and anxiety, I am believing a lie that God is not with me or he doesn't care. And so right now, more than ever, People, when we get isolated, this is what happened to Elijah. When Elijah got isolated, he began to believe lies. He began to believe when Elijah was isolated, he began to believe that God wasn't with him anymore, that God had abandoned him, that the situation was hopeless. So when I feel hopeless or when I feel overwhelmed, it's because I'm approaching that situation as if God's not with me. But here's the good news. When Jesus tells his disciples with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You know what the good news is? I'm not with man. I'm with God. Like, that's the message. 
That's what Jesus made available. I'm not with man. I'm with God. So with man, it may be impossible. But with God, nothing's impossible. And here's the good news. I'm not with man. I'm with God. So I would just encourage people in this time, as you may feel overwhelmed, as you may feel isolated, as you may be looking at the uncertainty of the future, as you may be looking at your finances, as you may just be lonely, just, just, just get back to that truth of, of God is with me. He hasn't abandoned me. He hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. And there is not one situation I'm facing that I'm facing on my own. Another aspect of the book that I thought uh, is challenging, I think challenging for the church. Um, you talk about in the book that uh, the people that show up in our lives, they matter. You're citing the relationship between the newly converted Paul and Barnabas and Esther as Mordecai. And as we consider the current culture's relationship with the church, people are certainly more spiritual than ever, but are not connecting to the local church for, for many reasons. So how might, yeah. how might the church be the Barnabas or the Mordecai in the lives of people who will never darken the door of a church building? I really believe that the church has to reach out to people, that we can't just expect people to show up to us. And, and I think Here's one thing I would say about the issue of encouragement. We need to be speaking courage and life into people, even, even those that aren't saved. Like, like we should be, the church should be the biggest source of encouragement for people that don't know Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is this, is, you know, I, I've, I, when Jesus says there's no greater love than a man, than he laid down his life for his friends. I think sometimes we skip over this part of you have to build a friendship be, before love can fully manifest to its fullness. I, I, he says, listen, here's the greatest love that I lay my life down for a friend. And I think right now, especially in this moment, is there a better moment than right now to be people who reach out to other people, to speak life to them, to encourage them? and to invest in friendships with them, to be a friend to somebody by speaking life and courage to them. I've got people right now, I go to a, a gym and, 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 and there are people, you know, that don't know Jesus there. And I'm, I, I'm trying to reach out to them, texting them, getting a hold of them, just encouraging them, saying, hey, I know, I, listen, how are you doing? And what's going on with finances? And hey, I'm believing, I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying for your finances. Be encouraged. God's going to cover these things. And I'm just trying to speak courage in life, not just to the people that go to my church. And, and listen, the world is devoid of encouragement. It's amazing to me how much we take. We, it's not unusual for us to, to encourage or be encouraged within the church. But in the world, they're not, they, don't, they don't operate in that language. It's unusual and stands out. Trust me on this. Make a commitment to be the most encouraging person you know, or be the biggest encourager in every room you walk into, and you will be a unique individual. I, I remember, I remember this that um, I try to on a, I, I try to um, periodically, I try to be consistent with it, but I, I don't want to make myself sound more amazing than I am. But I try to write letters or emails whenever I encounter somebody doing a great job at a place of work. I figure that they get so much negative that, that if anybody sends a letter in, it's because they have a problem. So um, I, I remember one time I was at um, years ago, I was at Verizon 
and I was in line. There was a line for customer service. I was trying to get something work on my phone. And all these customers are there. And, and you know, it's a stressful environment. And I get to the front. I, the, the girl helps me out. And I go home that day, and I wrote a letter to our manager. Super simple, super easy. And I just said, hey, uh, just wanted you to know this person. They do a great job. They represent the company well. Better than that. And it uh, took me five minutes. It was not that hard. And, and, all, and, and somebody came to me a month later or something. And they said, hey, did you write a letter to Verizon? I said, yeah. They said, I work there. And they have taken that letter and posted it in the, in the break room for everybody to see. Then, not too long after this, and I'll tell you why that matters. Not too long after this, we had some people from our city, some employees that came and worked on a, a, a driveway, I mean, a sidewalk in front of our house. Really kind guys, did a great job. I wrote a letter to their, to, to their boss in the city of Reading, just saying, hey, this is what I love about growing up in our city. Just want you to know, they represented our city well. They did a great job. Somebody comes to me and says, hey, did you write a letter to the city? I said, yeah. They said they took that letter and reprinted it in, in, in the, the, the city employee newsletter. Goes out to all the city employees. They, re, they printed that in the city employee newsletter. And what struck me about those two situations was, one, how simple it was, but how devoid environments are of people just saying good stuff and encouraging them enough where they'll post it on a board and print it in a newsletter. And I just am encouraging our church. Let's be the most encouraging people we know. Reach out to your neighbor, speak life to them, speak courage to them and, and allow that to build a friendship where then you can really lay down your life for them and manifest the love of Jesus to them. Or kind of as we kind of draw to the end of our time together, as as we talk about this book, what 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 challenged you theologically to write this book? What challenged me theologically to write this book? Um, you know, I, I just want to see. I want I want to see the church, and I'm talking about the body of believers. Um, I want to see the church step into the fullness and, and really have the impact. And I believe um, that God wants to impact cities and nations. And I, and I just believe that that happens to believers. This is, you know, just reading my Bible. It happens to believers who just stand up and decide to do something. So, you know, I just believe that God's heart is for people and for cities. And, and I just want the church activated in that. So I guess, I mean, that might be a, a vague answer for it, but uh, theologically that's, that's kind of what, what I go after. And, and I will say this theologically in one of the, I only write two chapters. I, I definitely want to, for the church to relook at holiness. And this is another topic where you can just read the book, but I want to unpack holiness a little bit. And just really get people moving towards that relational piece of holiness, not just the legalistic duty aspect of it. Um, that 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 definitely for me um, is something that matters. And then I just want to encourage people. Well, if you want to stay connected with Banning, visit JesusCulture.com. Of course, follow him on the major social media platforms and go out and purchase the Three Mile Walk. Uh, Banning, thank you for uh, your invitation for us to not settle with uh, you know, nothing, but, but to, to strive towards thriving in our lives, because that's what God desires for us.
Yes. And thank you so much. And, and so appreciate all that you guys are doing and your heart for the body of Christ and just to encourage and strengthen believers. I love it. I love it. And it's a real honor to be on, on here today with you. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites, fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff.